turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. What is love? I ask you this question today. What is love if you cannot give? And how can you love if you have everything that makes your life significant and you somehow can't let it go to make a difference in the lives of others? How can an eternal being, an omnipotent being, really give? And the real question, the great controversy, is this. Is God love? That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is a part of the Cosmic Controversy series. In fact, it is number 17, entitled The Alien Intervention. We will bring you the first portion of this message here today. Don't forget, if you miss any portion of this broadcast, it's always available for you at reachingyourheart.com. And then just look for number 17 in the Cosmic Controversy series. Let's get underway. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with today's Reaching Your Heart. You know, every Christmas we consider the coming of Jesus in the context of Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, King Herod, or even the innkeeper who had no room for the little Lord Jesus. And we're often hard on all of these or some of them, maybe not the shepherds and the wise men, but at least the innkeeper and Herod. But we seldom consider what the gift of Jesus meant to the angels who lived in God's glorious presence. What did the angels lose in the gift of Jesus that first Christmas? That first Christmas, the coming of Jesus was more than just a birth of a Savior from the line of David to be our Messiah. There's not just a human component in that Christmas. Christ was more than simply the perfect Son of Man who would redeem men and women from the curse of sin. Christ came wrapped in swaddling clothes as the ultimate gift. His life would end wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, linen cords. His birth was a prophecy of the end. But he came more profoundly, not just genetically from the line of David. He came from an ancient order of beings and an extraterrestrial alien civilization that was burdened deep inside to give. What is love if you cannot give? What is a culture made of? What are a people about if they cannot give? The burden of heaven that first Christmas was the building burden of centuries It was the burden inside of people who had never been tested, who had gained everything by sheer creation, but had gained nothing yet by the test of character. The ancient civilization of old, the old Jerusalem, the burden of centuries to give. The moral crisis that arose in heaven had created a crisis in the heart of an ancient order of beings that was rich in history with the wealth of ideas. They were a class five civilization. And the citizens of that ancient cosmic culture felt the burden over the long centuries after sin arose to give. And it wasn't an easy burden. It was the pain of giving. 
It may come as a surprise, but E.T. was present on that first Christmas. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 12, 1 and 2. And a great portent or sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. Now who is this mother that was pregnant in heaven in Revelation 12? Who is this heavenly woman that is crying out in pain as she's ready to give birth? In Galatians 4.26, the Apostle Paul removes the veil. He makes it absolutely clear who she was and is. He says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in travail. For the children of the desolate one are many more than the children of her that is married. When Lucifer sinned in heaven, he claimed that God cannot give of himself in a way that is meaningful. What is love? I ask you this question today. What is love if you cannot give? And how can you love if you have everything that makes your life significant and you somehow can't let it go to make a difference in the lives of others? How can an eternal being, an omnipotent being, really give And the real question in the great controversy is this, is God love? The attack upon the law of God in Scripture is really the claim that God cannot give. That the primary principles of the moral law of God, which is selfless giving to others, somehow cannot be found in God himself. Satan claimed that a loveless being holds the power of eternity. He wields the thunderbolt at will. And that a God of power is absolutely logically inconsistent with a God of love. Because how can you have all power and everything and give and it mean anything? Satan claimed the emperor has no clothes on his throne. Behind the accusation that God's law is obsolete is the equally powerful assertion that God cannot give. It's not in his being to really give and it mean anything. That attack upon the character of God was also felt deep inside the heart of unfallen angels. How rich is a culture and how profound a people who cannot give. What is angel culture in the heavenly country really made of if it cannot give? When Adam sinned, the temptation was strong deep inside the minds of unfallen beings to call for the destruction of this world. You know, just think about one well-aimed meteor or a super speedy comet would do the job quite nicely, wouldn't it? You know, Shoemaker Levy 9, instead of hitting Jupiter, hitting Earth and stopping the sin problem. Cosmic euthanasia seemed reasonable that first Christmas. As Adam's sin proliferated in time, the call grew greater for heaven to intervene and put this planet out of its spiritual misery. Now, when you think of cancer... I frankly, I've had some skin cancer before in my life, and whenever you get a spot of something like that and it has to be removed, you're extremely serious about it. When you think of cancer, a good physician will tell you it's best to cut it out early or to hit it hard with chemo as soon as you can. You don't want those cancer cells growing. Because when it's malignant, it spreads like infection. The universe had every reason to believe that sin would break the quarantine and spread to unfallen worlds. In Revelation 12.3, the Bible describes a dragon who had gained a foothold back into heaven. After his fall, after he was cast out of heaven, we find him right back in heaven just before the birth of Jesus. When Adam sinned, Satan appeared in the divine councils shortly after he was thrown out for defying God at the creation of this world. He held Adam's passport. He had escaped from Tartarus. His stolen ID card, Adam's ID card, was in his hand. 
And Lucifer said, I'm back. I'm back, guys. I'm back. And I'm here to stay to accuse the brethren. I'm the new Adam of planet Earth. Lump it and live with it. I'm not leaving anytime soon. Revelation 12, 3 and 4. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems upon his head. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. Now, this dragon has seven heads because the seven heads represent seven kings, spiritual overlords, that move from Babylon to the end of time, seven periods of global domination by spiritual forces. The dragon is an eighth king in the book of Revelation that is of the seven. He has control over human history in its evil form. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is a lamb with seven horns. The horns are minor power. It represents his authority within the church, from the first church era to the end of time, from the church of Ephesus to the church of Laodicea. The point is, the dragon here is pictured as being the evil overlord of world powers. And in the book of Revelation, Satan here is in fact the father of the Antichrist world beast kingdom system. In the book of Daniel, the king of Persia and the king of Greece were governed by evil angel overlords at war with Gabriel and Michael. From the vantage point of heaven, Satan ruled the world kingdom system as Zeus in the pantheon. He was the top king of all these spiritual overlords. Now just before Jesus was born, Satan was in heaven harassing the woman that cried out in pain to give us Jesus. The heavenly Jerusalem was in pain with the need to give us their brightest and their best. And when Christ was born, the dragon refocused his attentions. He left there to come to here. During the life of Jesus, he was harassing and persecuting up there. He was accusing us day and night before God's throne. But when Christ was born in Bethlehem's manger, he was here to gobble him up and take him out. According to the Bible, Christ was alive before he was born here. He knew that the one who would come was the one that could defeat him. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the son of Abraham and David with the best possible Jewish credentials. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is the son of man with the best possible human credentials. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is the ultimate action hero. Like the Roman gladiators, he's a man of action. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus is a space alien. He's E.T. There is not a mention of human credentials as such that are convincing except the term Son of Man. And that goes to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the Son of Man is a heavenly figure, not an earthly figure. If anything, Jesus' ordinary human origins are challenged, are not together understood. They're kind of ignored in the Gospel of John. Jesus will make statements like this, before Abraham was, I am. Now when you really look at the Gospel of John, it becomes apparent that Jesus is the guardian angel or protector of the Jewish people for centuries. Turn with me to John 1, verse 10. He was in the world. What does it say? The world was made through him, and yet the world did not what? Did not know. I mean, there's a whole lot in that one verse. It means he was the creative agent of all that we know. He was present in the history of the Old Testament. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, he came to his own home. He was unrecognized in the great world religions, but finally he adopted a nation, the nation of Israel, and his own people received him not. It ends in tragedy for him. Christ was the guiding spirit of the Jewish nation for centuries. 
He was the light that created the world. He was the light that dwelt in the most holy place between the cherubim. His home was the nation of Israel. That was his heart. That was the place that he protected and he cared for. And when the world was created by Jesus Christ, he stayed right here to save it after its fall. We don't find him active in heaven in the Old Testament. We find him here working with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the families of the Old Testament to bring us into the new. As Satan was setting his sights on universal conquest, Jesus set his sights on a fallen world, on broken families, on lives that need hope and reality. And he was right here. His nation was the chosen nation. They'd been appointed by God with a spiritual overlord who is not just an angel, but who is the Lord himself. Christ was here. John says with tragic prose, Jesus came to his own home and his own people did not receive him. You know, that first Christmas, E.T. was watching out to see how the, the human family would receive Jesus Christ. And they were horrified to see that he was so poorly received. I mean, the prophecies had predicted his coming. We had the 70-week prophecy to Daniel 9. It was very clear he was coming. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were expecting him 200 years before he arrived based on that prophecy. But, but for some reason, when he was born, the, the great theologians the philosophical-minded teachers of the Jewish nation didn't bother to study the Bible. They were too busy with Plato and Aristotle. And so they didn't recognize the coming of Christ. They didn't know the Scriptures. Christ would later say that you didn't know the time of your visitation. But even when He did come, those that did should have had a better attitude. The painful gift that caused the heavenly Jerusalem to cry out in pain for delivery was in play, and He was poorly received here. The angel who heralded the coming of Christ in the book of Daniel was Gabriel. And when he tried to instruct Daniel, Daniel kept passing out. And Gabriel kept coming back to explain the prophecy so he would get it. Now, have you ever thought about angels having perfect temperaments? What do you think? Yes? Well, they get impatient. We have biblical evidence for this. In Daniel 8.13, the angel who is most likely Gabriel asked the question in fatigue kind of fashion, How long? In Daniel 9, he comes in great weariness. He's worn out and almost discouraged. Now, how long is not a human question in the book of Daniel. It's an angel question. How long does this stuff need to keep on going before heaven intervenes and really takes control and changes the course of human history? How long do we have to observe the misery we see on earth? They have been enduring the presence of evil for a long time. How long? 400 years passed between the book of Malachi and the coming of Jesus. And just before Jesus was born, Gabriel appeared at the altar inside the temple. There's Zechariah the priest offering prayers to God. And he announces to Zechariah that he will have a son who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And Zechariah is the priest. And what is his response? The text says he didn't believe it. Gabriel got a little mad. Miffed, incensed, insulted. I mean, here's heaven's ambassador with the good news, and he doesn't buy it. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. 
We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And what is his response? The text says he didn't believe it. Gabriel got a little mad. Miffed, incensed, insulted. I mean, here is heaven's ambassador with the good news, and he doesn't buy it. You know, people do that today, don't they? They hear that Christ died for their sins. They hear the good news that there is an advocate in the heavenly sanctuary who is able to take every single weakness and offer it before God and transform it into strength. And they say, well, I just don't believe God would do that for me. Dear heart, heaven has poured its heart out to convince the human race that God has done everything for you. That there is no barrier between you and Him and Jesus. That your sins are highly forgivable. That there is grace that can come to you today. That there is mercy that can flow from God's throne that is relevant for your challenge at this very moment. And that every sin you struggle with can be overcome and forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ your Lord. There is good news But it is human nature to believe that somehow God does not forgive and that God does not restore. Dear heart, there's no reason for you to hold a grudge against any other human being because God has not held a grudge against you. Now you get the picture. The angel should have had a different response. Instead, he didn't believe. 119, the angel answered, Zechariah, I am Gabriel, who stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you. And to bring you this good news, which means the gospel. And behold, you'll be silent and able to speak until the day that these things come to pass, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The angel came with good news, and it was poorly received by the priest. You know, heaven's not trying to trick the children men into belief. God's not trying to manipulate you into his kingdom. Jesus is the good news, Paul says that there is no other means that God has to save you and me other than the everlasting gospel, the good news, that is God's power to salvation. If you have Jesus, you have heaven's entire treasury right inside your heart, and you cannot claim poverty if you are a Christian. When Christ faced Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. We aren't citizens of some worldly kingdom system here. That's why we should not be conformed to this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Jesus. I mean, this notion that the church has to adapt to the world kingdom culture to win people is an absolute denial of the faith of the Bible. God says the kingdom principle is like a seed that comes and overtakes the world. It doesn't mingle and mix to the degree that it loses its distinctive force and power. Christ said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. In John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, he says, my servants would fight. You know, angels not only are capable of impatience over centuries, they're capable of fatigue. They can actually fight for righteousness when called to do so. He said, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to the Jews, but my kingship is not from this world. Now, when we were children, we used to have games that were highly dangerous. Now, I want to tell the children here, it's glad they're in Super Sabbath. Don't do this. We used to take our BB guns and play war, and the rules were you couldn't shoot above the waist. Well, after I hit someone the first time, it was time to quit. I'm shocking you. 
Well, I wasn't a Christian, you know. We were just doing crazy stuff out there. Please come back to church next week. I'm advising the kids not to do this. Don't do it. I think they've moved up in recent years to airsoft guns. But I tell you, these, I can't stand these airsoft guns. Where they have these pellets, they get into the wa- We have a 600 hour washing machine. My son brought these airsoft little BBs, which are little plastic BBs. They got in his clothes. They, they run the, the machine. So get those things out of your house. Uh, we, we're banning them in the future. I don't want to have them around. Now, Jesus basically told Pilate that he was the commander of heaven's army. He wasn't using airsoft pellets or BBs. I mean, real material, real weapons that could deal with evil. And when David was hiding out, ready to go to war with the Philistines, you probably remember the story. The Lord told him to wait until he heard the sound of marching on the top of the balsam trees. Do you remember that story? It's in 2 Samuel 5, 23. And when he heard heaven's army marching on the tops of the trees, it was time to engage the enemy and fight because God had gone before him into war. Let me prove it to you. Let me read you the verse. 2 Samuel 5, 23. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come upon them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then bestir yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to smite the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. I mean, you don't want to fight your battles in life without heaven's army marching over your enemy's head. You don't want to engage the enemy unless you engage an army on your side that can march in the top of the trees because the spiritual battle you fight is not with flesh and blood. It's with principalities and powers. And God said, David, you can't win unless our army is in the top of the trees dealing with that unseen army first. So who was Jesus before he was the baby of Bethlehem? Christ was the commander of the Lord's army. He told Pilate, my soldiers can fight. He was the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua met him just before he conquered Jericho. And Jesus said, I am the captain of the Lord's army. And Joshua bowed down and worshipped him. There was nothing wrong with that act because Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. Even though he was the guardian protector in angel form, he was the second person of the deity, eternal God. And you can worship Jesus and it's okay to call on him as the Lord. The angelic army of heaven gave up their commander to become a baby. The heavenly prince who was in charge of God's army relinquished his power to come to here. Now for one moment, let us consider what it must have felt like to lose him. Unfallen beings knew that he was God. But they also knew that he was their brother, the bright and morning star, the commander of the Lord's army. And when they followed God, they followed him. Lucifer's attack on God was an attack on him. He attacked God through him. When Jesus disappeared from angel realm, to never live there again in just the same way, they were crushed and saddened by this loss. They would never see him in the way that he was ever again. Whoever he was back then, they knew that he would never appear that way exactly the same way. There was a loss that they experienced. They would have to rediscover him in a different way. They would have to find him in different form. They would have to grow comfortable with him in a different fashion. It was like losing a member of the family. The coming of Jesus was not a step up for him. It was a giant leap down for everyone. Christ came to the kingdom of ants to be an ant and left the giants far behind to save the ants. The army of heaven, the family of heaven, gave up their finest, their tallest, their most beautiful, and their best so that they could save us. 
You can't tell me the angels didn't lose it and weep bitterly as Jesus said farewell to his friends to dematerialize into a human zygote that would form after nine months into a baby with no memory of the past. An amnesia God in the manger is what was there until it could dawn on him that he was in fact the eternal Son of God. He took the plunge into the womb to save a world that needed to be born again and born from above. And so he must be born again to bring about the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3.13 the truth. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now think about it. Lucifer was cast out of heaven because he wanted to be like the Most High in power. But Jesus got on the board, you know, the diving board. And he wasn't cast out of heaven. He leaped out of heaven. He took the plunge from heaven to here because that is what the Most High God is like in attitude. Lucifer wanted to be like him in power. He wanted to look good, to appear important, to have position. But Jesus took the plunge and lost it all because that is what God is like in attitude. Well, we need to leave it there for the first portion of the Alien Intervention, a part of the Cosmic Controversy series. But you can listen to the entire message online at reachingyourheart.com. And join us the next time when we get together to complete this message. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Fenley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.